time, but it's a great pleasure to be with you. My name is Nicola Jones, and I'm really delighted, privileged and honoured to be uh, discussing uh, a new book with Tony, Tony Randall. And I'm just going to allow Tony to introduce himself. Well, Nicola, thank you. Uh, well, I'm Tony Randall. I, uh, I'm a lawyer uh, and have been a lawyer for more years than I uh, care to remember, probably more years than I can remember, uh, actually. Um, in various guises, I've been a corporate lawyer, um, a project finance lawyer, and a commercial lawyer. Um, but a few years ago, I and some of my colleagues at Shoesmiths um, became really focused on exploring new ways of doing things. Um, someone once said that the uh, most dangerous seven words in business are, we have always done it that way. And we firmly believe that. So we set out to look uh, for new ways, particularly as emergent technology was becoming generally available. Um, and over recent years, we've procured legal tech, we've developed legal tech, we've used legal tech, we've trained legal tech, and we've sold legal tech products. And doing all that has allowed me to get to know a lot of wonderful, like-minded, uh, forward-thinking people, uh, such as you, Nicola, and indeed uh, our friends at Law Tech Live. Mm. Absolutely. And and um, you and I met on when we were members of the same Law Society Committee, Birmingham Law Society Legal Tech Committee, didn't we, Tony? With a real passion for sharing intelligence about legal tech. I come to this from the kind of human perspective. I'm a specialist in learning and development and, and behavioural psychologist. Um, and I'm also a former barrister with an interest in the future of legal services. And Tony's book, which is, let me just show it to you if you haven't noticed it before, is Legal Practice in the Digital Age does uh, exactly what he just described in terms of sharing that intelligence that he and his two co-authors, who were David Jackson and Paul Caddy, we should give them a shout out, um, have, have generated, let me just mute uh, and uh, somebody in the audience, have generated in the course of uh, the last, I guess, decade or more, Tony, and generously are sharing freely and openly. So, so Tony, um, tell me what You've spoken a, a bit about the fact that you you have this experience and you wanted to share it, but what inspired you to actually, you know, wrap a towel around your head and start writing? Um, well, it, um, it it's born out of a couple of things, really. Lockdown was a wonderful time uh, for some. It was a, a terrible time as well. Mm. Um, but uh, most of us in lockdown had various lockdown projects, didn't we? And... Um, unfortunately, in the Randall household, uh, it was a very tense and fraught time because for no particularly logical reason whatsoever, I decided that I would uh, adopt as my lockdown project refurbishing a bathroom, um, having never done it before in my life um, and, and not quite sure why I chose that. However, I promised the um, I promised Mrs. Randall um, uh, that it would be completed in three weeks. I had no idea. I just said three weeks. And unfortunately, five months later, the bathtub was still in the corridor. So uh, when somebody uh, suggested, uh, Tony, why don't you write a book? It seemed like a relatively easy challenge. To, uh, in comparison <laughs> to, to the bathroom. Um, 
uh, rather more seriously, though, it, fundamentally, um, we, uh, myself and the, the other authors, uh, we, we just we do not subscribe to the dystopian predictions that robots uh, are coming over the hill to render all lawyers obsolete any time soon. Um, on the contrary, we think that lawyers can harness technology, that we can not only survive, but we can thrive if we understand and get comfortable uh, with technology. But lawyers need to move quickly. Tech is moving quickly and lawyers need to respond to that speed. Hence, we wanted to put out a call to action uh, to lawyers everywhere. And we thought that a book um, would be a good medium uh, to do that. Um, and looking around at, at other available um, books on the subject, um, I guess I guess we wanted ours to be a little bit different in a few respects. Mm. Um, fundamentally, our the, the, our vision of the future is about tech and people tech as a tool to be used by humans not tech replacing humans and and i think that's a that's a theme and i know nicola it's a a subject you feel passionately about as well mm. it's a theme that we feel very strongly about so we we really want to present a future that <laughs> that didn't see the humans obliterated and living in underground caves <laughs> hiding from the the robots um i suppose the second um the second thing is we noticed that, that a lot of the books out there are really rather theoretical, academic um, mm. thought, uh, uh, thought experiments. Um, so we wanted to write something that was based on practical uh, experience. Um, we, we, we're doing this stuff. We've been doing this stuff every day, all day, day in, day out for years. We've been living and breathing it. And not just theorizing about it so we thought we'd we'd write it all write it all down in some sort of order um and i think the third the third ambition the third thing we wanted to get across when we wrote the book is is the style in which uh we mm -hmm. wrote it because we we lawyers we do have a uh, can sometimes have a tendency to um perhaps be overly self-important <laughs> <laughs> Surely not, Tony. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it was. It was very much our mission um, in the language and the way that we wrote this book that it it, it must not be stuffy. Um, and innovation and legal tech can be perceived as a subject for only for an elite few to understand. And we wanted to make it highly accessible so rather than perpetuate the the mystique um we do our best to bust uh, the myths and misconceptions that surround mm. legal tech and just make it make it a subject that every lawyer everyone feels confident to to engage in mm. uh, the tone of the book's very warm and there's a lot of um kind of enjoyable anecdotes and um and, and analogies um, it mentions a shipping forecast in the introduction, for example, which is a, a UK institution. Um, and um, it's one of the things that, that I really enjoyed reading the book was it, it really felt like sitting down with friends and having a conversation about this. Um, so so that, that I think that makes the book super accessible. Um, you talk about um, 
the ch change cubed in the book, Tony. What, what do you mean by this term change cubed? Yeah. Um, in the legal profession, in professions generally, in most work areas, and in, fi in fact in life, in life generally, um, I think we're all experiencing um, a level of change that, that we've never, we've never experienced before in three respects, um, hence change cubed. Um, first, the, the, the pace of change. Things change at a pace far faster than before. Complexity. Um, change now brings in more complexity. There's very little that changes that makes things <laughs> less complex rather than more uh, complex. And the magnitude of change that is sweeping over us is, is just extraordinary. And if you, if you think back to the time we started writing this book, if you think, think back to the the world's response to COVID. We can all associate with those three things, the pace at which change happened right across the globe, the complexity of the different laws in different countries and the distinction between laws and guidance uh, is really interesting. Um, uh, we were um, talking uh, to the barrister who uh, actually on his Twitter feed was putting out a lot of commentary on uh, the, um, the the laws and regulations as they were being introduced, and he he made the uh, he made the comment that a lot of police officers were checking his Twitter feed to try and work out what the what the law was. Uh, so, um, if ever there were testament to the fact that laws are becoming more complex, I think that's mm. it. And obviously, the magnitude of change, the fact that the fact that change was happening around the entire world. Uh, and it was mm -hmm. momentous change. So mm -hmm. if we ever needed it, that I think is a great example of of change cubed. Um, and and this this change cubed it's, is fueled by technology. Uh, it, it is technology that enables change to happen and for it to be complex and for it to have such a, a worldwide dramatic uh, effect. Um, mm -hmm. So change, change is the exception. Uh, sorry, change is not the exception. Uh, it, is, it, is the, it is the rule. Um, and far from fearing change, we lawyers need to embrace it. Um, and this is really where the, the call to action uh, comes in. We need to lead the change that we want to see in our profession. Otherwise, others, probably tech companies, will determine what that change looks like for mm. us. Um, and also, I think people entering the legal profession now need to expect change and be excited and optimistic about the prospect of change. Yeah. Entering any job now doesn't guarantee a job for life. Uh, and I think that people not only need to recognise that, but, but, but positively enjoy that fact. Yeah, and that's a massive challenge for established practice, isn't it? To engage with with um, with new generations and with the agenda simultaneously. Brian's got a point that he's uh, he'd like to make. Hello, Brian. Hi, Nicola. Hi, Tony. Hopefully yeah, you can you can hear me. We can. Um, I'm not quite sure what's going on with the. Ah, uh, oh, there we are. Yeah, we can see you as well. Brilliant. Um, 
Yeah, so basically, uh, I fully understand what you're you're saying there, Tony, and I uh, fully agree with it. Um, I went to a Westminster Legal Policy Forum not so long ago where we were talking about AI and things like that. Um, <clears throat> and I'd just like to get your take on what the chair, uh, sorry, the CEO of the Legal Services Board said about um, AI. He said, it is five years too late for regulators in the UK to provide any meaningful response to the challenges raised by artificial intelligence. Uh, quite clearly, the profession itself in, in a lot of areas is moving forward in relation to the use of technology. Um, but how can they do that um, comfortably, well, confidently, uh, if the regulators are so far behind? I think that's a, I think that's a, a, a great question. Um, and I mean, for example, uh, there's a lot of talk about chat GPT at the moment. We've all we've all tried it uh, at home. We've all tried it at work. Um, we're all writing policies about it at work to stop our lawyers using it to answer the legal questions because it is not safe at the moment. No. Um, so we're, we're kind of having to self-regulate at the moment and that's a lot of work because it means that each of us individually all our, all our firms are taking individual approaches rather than a regulator taking responsibility uh so i i completely get that the the other thing about ai and regulation that i think is really important to realize is not only should there be regulation around the use of ai but also there needs to be regulation about the creation of AI. And ChatGPT is a great example of that because I'm sure everyone on, on this webinar has tried ChatGPT and managed to get an incorrect answer. I think in fact, the, the creators, OpenAI, I think they, they refer to these incorrect answers as hallucinations. Um, and, and clearly, you know, the, the, the technology is hugely powerful but it hasn't yet been trained to be sufficiently accurate. And training AI to be reliable, accurate, and unbiased is absolutely fundamental. The answers that AI gives are only as reliable as whoever has trained the AI. Um, and I, 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 if time permits, I can give you an a, a example of how we, we trained AI. But who knows, who on this call knows how OpenAI is actually feeding this AI brain that is ChatGPT? Because fundamentally, unless there is some control over what goes in, there is no control over, over what comes out. Yeah, and I think that was a concern of mine when I saw, um, I think it was Lord Voss last week, um, talking about you know courts and things like that and decisions being made by the, by the courts using AI. Um, and again, I, I attended a conference a few years ago where we were talking about it. And the concern was that the, the biases will be built in to AI. And the concern was in that particular case that people from certain sectors of the community who were subject more to stop and search uh, than others would find themselves sort of being uh, prosecuted and convicted Yes. When actually there were biases in the data that was, you know, that was in the system. 
Exactly that. And OpenAI, I think, have openly said that at the moment, uh, the hallucinations that have been created, the biases, because it's not just realizing that something's wrong. In fact, the, the greater danger comes when you don't realize something mm-hmm. is wrong, when it's when it's not manifestly wrong. And the um, OpenAI have, have, have said that at the moment, chat GPT is basically reading data that itself uh, works on majority um, uh, majority think uh, and, and and therefore it, it is not completely objective as as it should be and needs to be I think mm. the greatest test of chat GPT is if you type into chat GPT should a law firm use chat GPT to provide legal advice it it comes out and says no and <laughs> gives you lots yeah. of reasons yeah the discussions I've heard thanks Brian great question Thank you. really interesting discussion um and I would encourage everyone, please, to ask questions and make observations. Um, I know, Tony, you're particularly keen to hear uh, what other people think and, and make this a conversation between, between people who are all, all learning together. Um, but it's interesting, I, 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 I um, hear the term used human in the loop, and we seem to be trading on the fact that we're still going to have humans in the loop, although things are moving very, very fast. And we, we know that we just had that letter written by 50 leading figures in AI to ask for AI to be paused. Um, I don't, don't know if the, the, there's going to be any response to that. But this business of the human in the loop, and you mentioned earlier in the call, um, Tony, about the fact that it, it's not going to be lawyers or technology, it's going to be lawyers and technology. And in the book, you, you spend time talking about the importance of emotional intelligence. I just wondered if you could elaborate, please, on why it is that you feel that emotional intelligence is so closely associated with something that we might think is going to uh, actually remove the human from the story. Well, um, yeah, a- absolutely. This is, this is, as you say, this is a fundamental um, tenet um, in the book. And um we, we actually formulated uh, three laws, three rules um, relating to the future practice of law. And um, this was this was inspired, um, talking of robotics and technology, this was inspired by Isaac Asimov, uh, who I think it was in the, the 40s, was uh, writing his wonderful works. Uh, when you talk about iRobot, everybody remembers Will Smith. They don't all remember the fact that Isaac Asimov wrote the the marvelous book um anyway uh, asimov uh, developed his three laws of robotics which are fascinating and they work logically they're great to read so we thought we'd have a go at um at writing three laws of uh, legal robotics if you like three laws of, of future legal practice and um those those three laws are first that um Tech won't replace the legal profession, but lawyers who use tech will replace those who don't. Um, And that is because tech won't replace us anytime soon. There are too many things humans can do that tech can't and won't for many years. Um, Tech can't negotiate. Tech can't assess relative bargaining positions. It can't know when to concede a point and to bang the table and walk away and there are many other things uh beside um but 
tech is without doubt going to be a vital tool to improve lawyers' efficiency, speed, accuracy, consistency, reduce costs. So it's essential that lawyers start to embrace tech right now, or they will simply cease to be in business um, in the long term. Mm. The second law is lawyers who act like robots will be replaced by robots. If all a lawyer does is apply legal knowledge without adding value, then it is 100% certain that sooner or later, a robot will come along to replace them. And judging by some of the lawyers of that type that I've met during my career, the robot would probably be more likable uh, as well. Um, and the third law, and this is coming to your question, the third law is um, that uh, those lawyers who combine tech and emotional intelligence will thrive above all. And the reason I say that is that tech will be a great leveller in terms of giving every law firm the same technical ability to dispense the pure law. So ultimately, the distinguishing factor between law firms, those that thrive and those that don't, will be the experience that we give our clients and how we make them, how we make them feel. Um, and the great thing about tech, of course, is once we get tech doing the heavy lifting in lawyering, that frees up us human lawyers to spend more time developing the so-called soft skills, which in fact are some of the hardest skills to, to master in life, um, which go to giving our clients a great experience. Um, and if you think about it, technology has increased in power exponentially over the last 30, 40 years. But the human side of lawyering has hardly developed at all in all mm. those decades. So mm. tech offers a great opportunity um, for us lawyers, the legal profession, to offer a far better service and experience to clients than ever before if we combine tech and emotional intelligence. See, Liz has got a hand up. I'll come to you in just a second, Liz. I'm, I'm, I'm minded to think of, uh, I'm the daughter of lawyers, and, and I think the legal practice that I witnessed when I was growing up was very much about the humanity. It was very much about serving the client. Um, but actually, the billable hour really drummed that out of everyone and made it very, very much more transactional in the, in the terms of, uh, uh, I don't mean in terms of transactional, I just mean literally just doing tasks. Um, so it's interesting, I think, that evolution in law um, but we, we we need to move into this this time where, as Suskin put it recently, we're focused on the future of practice being about client needs rather than the legal practice itself and its needs. Liz, you're going to make a point or make an observation. Hello. Um, yes, sorry, I was just grappling with where, where do I go to start my video. Hello, Tony. Um, Hello, Liz. Hi, Tony. Uh, it's all absolutely fascinating. This is, and um, I I have no expertise in any of it, but I run help to run a very small law firm, and we have some young, developing lawyers. And one of the things that we have observed in the last few months only in doing this is that the soft skills 
that we that we assume we have after 25 years of practice and been developing um are not are not readily apparent in the young developing lawyers and i'm really interested in the point that you've just made vis-a-vis how you think the training of lawyers is going to have to change to adapt to what you perceive as the the opportunity for lawyers to thrive um because if anything my feeling is that the fact that our, you know, the generation coming through has only ever known a world in which they exist because of technology. Um, that there has been an impact on their ability to relate to other humans. It's noticeable, and it is difficult to train out of. In, in my sort of humble experience, so how do we even go about? trying to do that and I'm I am hugely generalizing and there are some fantastic young people out there and and this isn't in no way suggesting they're not able to do it but I think there has to be an acknowledgement that technology has had an impact on human to human relation relationship or ability to relate I hope that question makes some sense to you makes complete sense and I I relate to it and I've seen it in the same way that you have I'm sure we we all have um I think um the the irony is that to date perhaps technology and the pursuit of efficiency through technology so far has actually forced human lawyers to become a little bit robotic uh, and actually <laughs> Some law firms have, if you like, um, programmed the soft skills out of their humans. In other words, they're trying to make humans more more like robots and they're trying to make the robots more like humans. Well, why do that? You know, make robots incredibly good at doing what robots do best and make humans incredibly good at doing what humans do best. And the vision I have, we have for the future is that because the tech will be doing the heavy lifting of law in the future, that then frees up the lawyers in two respects. One, lawyers shouldn't try to compete with machines because they won't be good enough. (laughs) They, They will not be as fast or as consistent or as cheap. Lawyers should focus on things that only humans can do. And that is all about developing EQ all about ensuring that you understand your client, ensuring that your client feels comfortable with what's going on. Dare I say it, uh, occasionally lightening the mood when the client needs a little bit of of support. Um, All those things we can do and machines can't do. And that's, that's what I believe we need to be focusing, pointing our lawyers more towards in the future. And I think that that also needs to start. That expectation needs to start at um, in universities. And I've I've been discussing with with various law faculties what the what the lawyer of the future, what the student uh, needs to know about the lawyer of the future. Because if you ask the average law student what lawyers do, they wouldn't really be able to tell you now, let alone predict what lawyers going to be doing in ten years' time. Um, I think it's, you know, it's still very much black letter law training that that Mm. lawyers get, that law students get. And they need to be aware not only of the importance of soft skills, but also um, to expect and thrive in an environment of change. 
I think there's quite an exciting opportunity around inclusion here as well, because the reality is that, that a lot of that black letter law practice has been driven by very big law firms hoovering up the best talent in the first term of the first year at university, certainly what's happening in the UK. Um, and in fact, Liz and I were at an event that I ran late last year where we worked with students who were from a very different uh, demographic profile to those that would be at the top universities in the UK. And uh, they found it a relief and an inspiration to hear that they wouldn't have to conform to a very traditionalistic uh, type of law and that they would be able to use their flair and imagination uh, in order to, to, to create something that is, is a bit different to that that they understand. Um, and and I, you know, visibly they grew within the session because they could see they had talent that they could bring to the story. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. There's there's no point in selecting people for jobs because they're like robots. <laughs> Select them because they're like humans. Um, mm -hmm. And on the subject of of diversity, social mobility, inclusion. Um, Again, I'm I'm incredibly optimistic about the opportunities that technology creates there, um, because we're going to see in law firms far more jobs that are tech, predominantly tech related, rather than law related. And given that there are limitations uh, in the demographics of of lawyers, it has to be said, um, but there's greater uh, diversity inclusion um, in the world of, of technology, then that's a great opportunity to, for law firms uh, to bring in um, more diverse workforce and for that more diverse cohort to achieve positions of prominence in law firms. I have every expectation that going forward in number, the majority um, of uh, staff of a law firm won't be lawyers. <laughs> uh, yeah. They'll be legal technicians or technicians, um, and those people will rise to uh, very prominent positions in those firms. So mm. for me, um, a tech-driven future um, can only be good for mm. more diversity uh, and inclusion in the profession. Perhaps we'll come on and talk about some of the, those roles. I just noticed, Liz, did you have something to add? No, I, I just I was listening, but um, I think I think that's right, and I think I I agree wholeheartedly with what Tony's just said, and I think that um, there 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 is in you know you talked at the beginning about um, lawyers being slow to evolve and embrace the technology because there is there is power and there is mystique and there is a premium you know in in terms of what we hold on to as lawyers, which is our knowledge, that will take time to filter out it will take time to you know uh, it's going to be a generational shift so it's not it's not going to be happening before I retire I suspect but I think you know I think in the next 20 years we are going to see a massive recalibration of how legal services are offered and, and, and that's and a really interesting point powerful within the sorry thank you no no my, my mistake Liz sorry uh, because I think what we will see and, and what what I know Tony and I both fear for is for the small small and medium-sized firms who, who don't have access to the resources uh, of a shoesmiths uh, and who are very stuck in this generational space uh, of not, not seeing, not relating, not understanding. For me, those are the people who should mandatorily read this book and see that it is possible because uh, uh, to engage and, and not be overwhelmed um, 
because other because because there will be a change and, and a lot of the energy we see is coming in at, from in-house and from the top end of law but it is going to disseminate quite rapidly what do you think about that Tony yeah ab- absolutely uh s- small law firms um have the biggest challenge because of lack of time and resource but also have the greatest opportunity because the um the great unmet legal need um in this country is uh for consumers and uh for small um businesses small smes um and that unmet need is is estimated to be in in the billions yeah now that 11 billion according to the yeah absolutely uh, uh, uh and that is not an unmet need that that i or my firm uh, can go for that is that is one that the smaller law firms um yeah. it, 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 it's up for grabs um and that's got to be a prize worth fighting mm. for um now i don't underestimate <clears throat> underestimate the challenges that that small firms um have but in the book we do suggest a few things that can help small firms feel like they're not trying to do everything on their own uh, and collaboration collaboration is a wonderful thing collaboration between among smaller firms because at the end of the day um smaller firms going forward are not going to be competing against each other they're going to be competing potentially against tech providers who want to come into their area of uh, of practice so i i would recommend and i uh, predict that we'll see a lot of collaboration amongst smaller law firms and between smaller law firms and tech providers as well yeah and you've got a whole chapter about um collaboration and, and again central to the collaboration is story is the uh, the capacity to demonstrate emotional intelligence so going around that circle again there um let's move on to talk about um some of these new roles um and i think before we get to those new roles we, we want to talk about data really haven't we because uh, we've we've majored on the human dynamics here, but one of the trends that you refer to in the book is the data boost. I wonder if you could explain to us what you mean by that. Yeah, well, um, along with change being an incredible driver for the future shape of lawyering, um, data we think will be just as influential. Um, and it is a fact that I think over the last, is it over the last three years, more data has been created and archived than in the entire history of, of humanity. I mean, basically, I don't know whether I've got those numbers right, but that's the principle of it, that, that data is just expanding to fill whatever space is um, available. And we lawyers, um, we lawyers sit on a massive amount of data, but simply do nothing with it. So, Every time that any of us uh, gets an instruction and acts for a client, all the details of that instruction, that case, that transaction, that deal, that litigation, all the details, we absorb them into our minds. We're great at that, lawyers. And then as soon as that instruction is completed, all that knowledge gets shunted out and then the next instruction comes into your head. And that knowledge only ever normally goes in a drawer or a virtual drawer these days and only get, gets pulled out if there's there's a problem or a question in the future now what if what if 
instead of just archiving all that knowledge, what if we actually start to put that data to use for the benefit of our clients? Um, and that's uh, that's another project we're working on at the moment, actually developing an AI tool that you can throw thousands of contracts or thousands of litigation cases or thousands of, of private equity investments or thousands of leases into this AI machine. And it will tell the client, basically, it will give them a, a heat map of mm. what the, the profile of their portfolio looks like. And it will also, over time, tell them how their risk profile is improving, mm. not least of all if they use our firm <laughs> to affect those improvements. But you can see there how by us harnessing that data and using it, the client is going to get value as well as the law firm getting value out of doing that. Mm. Um, and the other reason, of course, that lawyers need to take data very seriously is to do with AI. As I was, as I was mentioning earlier, um, AI needs to be fed accurate data in order to produce accurate and reliable uh, output. Um, and we lawyers, therefore, need control of that and access to that, that data to feed AI. Yes, as you say, I, th I think a lot, a lot of the time as lawyers, we think the information is the data is incidental. Uh, it's, it's something we, we deploy. And as you say, we, we, we move past. And now we so I think a lot of the time, if you say the word data to the average lawyer, they, they possibly wouldn't really understand what you're referring to. But you've explained it extremely well there. Tony, thank you for that. And I, and I know that um, we now have data analysts working in law firms, um, certainly the law firms who are working at big scale are using data analysts now. Um, and that's a totally one of the totally new roles that, that we have in legal practice, which you see only expanding. And another of the trends that we have in the workplace now is this hybrid uh, nature of work and you refer to another trend as being the hybrid era um, I mean we've all got experience of it I expect we've all got an understanding of it but what do you mean by it yeah um, so yeah the, so the, the, the third main driver as well as change cubed and the data boost the third main driver we think for lawyering of the future is this hybrid era in which we live and um by that, we don't just mean agile working, although that's one example, of course. We all now work from both home and from the office, and, and lockdown was, was a, a great catalyst for that. So that's become the norm for most lawyers. But what, what we mean by the hybrid era uh, is, is, is far broader than that. It's all about living and working in environments that combine elements from different worlds so for example um, we apply both technology and people to lawyer in the future and the amount of tech we will use uh, in the future will increase but it will always be tech and people and another example of this hybrid era this taking different facets from different worlds is the way we lawyers uh, must behave in the future because we need to be more multifaceted um, we need to be lawyers but we need to be other things too we need to be entrepreneurs we need to be social media influencers 
We need to be webinar uh, presenters. <laughs> it's a very demanding role, uh, but but this multidimensional element. Uh, goodness me, when I started in the law um, all those decades ago, I, I barely had one dimension to me, <laughs> let, alone, let alone all the things that now lawyers need to um, build into their daily practice. Um, but historically, um, lawyers have been pretty insulated from the need to change their behaviours and ways of mm. working. So it is going to come as a, as a cultural challenge to, to some. Absolutely. And that, that piece around um, behaviour sort of follows on from mindset as well, doesn't it? Um, we've, we've got to have both the sort of the cognitive and the functional capacity to cope with the change that we make. Um, and I think quite, quite often the point you started with very early on, we have always done it this way, is, is the answer that we get when we invite change. And even if it's not expressed, it's, it's sitting there. For my part, um, one of the things that I think law has got to get a hold of is uh, investing in development. Most law firms don't even measure the amount of money they invest in their development of people. Um, they might think of learning as entirely related to legal technical expertise, and that, of course, is crucial. But actually, if you're measuring your marketing budget, why aren't you measuring your knowledge business? Why aren't you measuring how you're helping your people learn to engage with the sorts of issues and trends like change, data, uh, and, uh, and the hybrid era and the multi-dimension nation. These are huge changes. And the point that came to mind when you were speaking, Tony, is it's exciting. We were chatting before we went live, weren't we, about the fact that actually a lot of lawyers, in my experience, are not all that happy with having to chase the billable hour target. It's not a joyful day every day. But actually, if we think about the, the challenge and the potential to do things differently and the nature and excitement of that, that's a great thing, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's going to be it's going to be great for clients as well, because uh, you know, I, I really believe that we're about to enter a golden age of lawyering where we are able to do for clients way more than we could do do it quicker and more accurately at lower cost and give them a better experience as well well you know, what's not what's not to like and be enthusiastic and joyful about that well that brings us to the idea of purpose doesn't it as to what's the purpose of a law firm and then i think maybe we'll talk a little bit about how we can get firms engaged with the idea of change so so this throws into relief the idea of what a law firm is in practice to do, doesn't it, Tony? I, I think it. I think it does. Um, and I suppose different people enter the law for different reasons, and there are lots of different jobs in the legal profession. Um, but whatever reason you go into the law, it's no excuse not to be optimally efficient. Because we, we owe that. I mean, I think I think we, we all now realise that unless we become optimally efficient, the profession or whatever aspect of the profession is, is not going to is not going to thrive or even survive for much for much longer. But I guess what you and I are saying, Nicola, is that that being optimally efficient is not mutually exclusive from being very human. Mm. And pursuing and being engaged in law for whatever reason you want to be engaged in the law 
And for some, for some, it is a pursuit of success and uh, and and wealth. For others, it is a vocation. Uh, as a profession, we need to be doing something for society because <laughs> because otherwise we're just taking and not and not giving. Um, but whatever we are doing, whyever we are doing it, we can do it optimally efficiently, and in fact more humanely than we were before. Mm. I heard Suskin say the other day that he thought it might be negligent not to use available technologies in the future at some point. Mm. That's an interesting well, idea. Absolutely. It? I mean, you know, the, the the test for negligence is is based on what what best practice in the industry is. And if best mm. I mean at the moment the use of AI is in the minority, but it's it's certainly going to become the norm very soon. Mm. So how would, would you advise a law firm to get on board with the change agenda? Tony? Yeah, well, I think um, I think it has to be put on the agenda um, at the most senior level. Um, change is not going to happen in any law firm um, unless the owners of the business support it and want it. And that's a pretty fundamental that's a pretty fundamental starting point. Um, I think it also needs to be put on the agenda urgently for all the for all the reasons I've I've said. Um, uh, and I know uh, Richard Susskind. He he often um, <laughs> he often says it's quite hard. I, don't, I can't remember his exact words. It's very eloquent though. He says something like it's very hard um, when you're speaking to to lawyers. It's very hard to tell a room full of very successful wealthy people that their their business model is broken. Um, and a lot of law firms, you know, are doing are doing well. They're they're quite successful, so they won't feel like they're on a burning platform. But mm. but nor did Kodak, nor did Blockbuster. Um, so perhaps the the flames are closer than you think. Um, so mm. it needs to get on the agenda urgently. Um, also, don't just talk about it. Do it. Do it. Unless you unless you make change happen, it won't. Um, speak to your peers in other firms. That, Nicola, is what we are doing in Birmingham. Um, we are sharing information, ideas, best practice. Um, and it is in no way um, it giving away trade secrets. On the contrary, it is, it is improving the state of the art in the profession, which is what we as a whole profession um, need to do. We need to swap notes, not be afraid to swap notes uh, and ideas. Collaboration, I've already talked about the importance of collaboration. Don't try and do everything uh, on your own. Don't put everything onto your own shoulders or your own firm, firm's shoulders. Collaborate uh, with other firms. Collaborate with tech providers. Tech, legal tech providers are so hungry to collaborate mm. with law firms. We've, we've done a number of, of collaborations um, and it's been tremendously successful. Um, keep and up is that date. in terms of piloting new new approaches? Yeah, ab absolutely. Using pre-existing yeah. uh, tech to apply to a new use case, or absolutely that. So, for example, uh, artificial intelligence. We would never dream of building an AI, developing and building an AI platform. The, the cost and expertise required is astronomical. Mm -hmm. um, but what we can dream of <laughs> is taking an existing platform seeing a new use case for it and then mm. training that platform to be the most platform, uh, most accurate platform in the world for that use case, which we've done 
um, with uh, a contract review uh, tool that mm. we developed, for example. Um, keeping up to date is really important. Join industry initiatives that are focused on innovation and legal tech. Come to webinars like this where we're sharing uh, ideas. Um, also involve your best people in this. This is not the preserve of just partners in law firms. Involve your juniors as well, but don't just involve them because they're young. Um, everybody involved in the initiative has to be there because they have something to add, not just because they're merely enthusiastic. So um, identify who in your firm is, is genuinely both interested and able to add value to the uh, to the the change mm. um, and I suppose finally I'd say reward successful examples of innovation reward it be seen to be rewarding it and ensure the whole business knows about those successes there's no better way um, of gaining support more support from within um, a law firm than by showing them what successful innovation looks like mm. I think very difficult for firms that haven't engaged with this kind of change to tip into the doing, to get away from the kind of cerebral ther theoretical approach and actually tip into the doing. And I, there's a, a case study in the book about Matters Plus, which is where you were inspired to think of, of using um, an IT ticketing um, system to support in-house counsel to manage their workload. Do you, would you just like to tell that story, Tony? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so this this actually was bought. Um, I used to be a commercial lawyer. Um, the colleagues with whom I've written the book were commercial lawyers as well. And we used to do a lot of work. We do, still do a lot of work with in-house legal teams, huge amount. We're very embedded in the, the in-house legal community. Um, and uh, we were we were having a chat with a couple of GCs um, uh, a few years ago, and they um, they were laughing at us uh, in private practice because, of course, in-house, you don't have to usually you don't have to record your time, whereas in private practice, we record every minute of our time. Um, and so they were laughing at us, you know. And, <laughs> uh, but when the laughter died down, we sort of reversed the discussion and said, well, by recording all our time, we know everything that all our people are doing. How do you know all the things you're, you're, you're being instructed on? And they went quiet and didn't laugh so much. And then they said that, well, that we use an Excel spreadsheet and we we create it manually and we update it manually once a month sometimes. And that was it. That was the state of the art. So it occurred to us that um, there was uh, there was a need for a system to manage in-house uh, instructions. Um, and we went away and we got a quote for building uh, a piece of software to do that. But it was six, almost seven figures and uh um, I, I would have been laughed laughed out of the boardroom if I'd gone uh, and asked for a budget to to build that software. So instead, we thought about how we might be able to get access to that software in another form and then repurpose it. And hence, um, it occurred to us that uh, an in-house legal team is very similar to an IT help desk. They sit in a big organisation. People in the organisation contact that help desk. The help desk has to allocate that work out and occasionally they bring in external consultants to help them. Well, that's exactly what an in-house legal team is doing. So we um, we Googled 
um, for uh, a suitable uh, partner. And we found one, emailed them. And six months later, we'd got a working product called Matters Plus Limited. And it's still being used uh, by household name companies today. And that's fascinating, isn't it? Because it's an example of using pre-existing tech. So it isn't the case that you necessarily have to um, be Einstein, but you do need to put yourself in the way of having the thought, the connection, making, seeing the pattern. Brian makes a point in chat. How do you know fixed fee work is profitable if you don't measure time? And I'm not entirely sure if I should take you seriously on that one, Brian, or not. You may be making a very straight point or you may actually uh, be making it not nodding to the, the importance of moving away from the, the billable hour. I don't know. But it is, in fact, three minutes before time. So I'm not sure we can take the lid off that particular discussion right now. If there was one thing that you were going to encourage people to do, Tony, as a result of thinking about technology and, and starting to engage, if there's one action, one one shift, what, what would you what would you say? What's the thing to do apart from read the book, obviously? <laughs> oh, well, you got me there. Um, I uh, I would advocate being motivated to get to grips with this subject because for some people it's in the too difficult box for some people it's a complete mental block because mm. they know they've got to address this but they just haven't got a clue how they're going to address it and i think if i had to pick one thing it would be a state of mind and that is don't panic because it isn't too late at all it isn't too late don't panic but be curious and be optimistic and then get engaged. Get engaged with that mindset. There are any number of ways to get engaged and we've discussed some of them today. And I hope we're going to have more of these webinars where this engagement can continue. But I think it is all about mindset. It needs to, it needs to be addressed, but be optimistic and don't think that you can't play. You can, it's all mm. accessible. That's a lovely note to end on. Thank you very much, Tony. Um, and I, I, Tony's just made the point that this LawTech Live community, and I'm, I'm sure others on the call know this, but this is entirely a community-generated effort. So if anyone else on the call is minded to make content, to run a webinar, or to share other content, then, then you're completely at liberty to do so. Um, Rasmeet's just um, putting her video on. And um, Rasmeet, what should people do if they want to... Uh, run a, an event through Law Tech Live. Absolutely. Thanks, Nicola and Tony. I think it was such a wonderful session, first of all. So thanks a lot for that. And uh, if anyone wants to run an event or wants to post any content, we have the Law Tech website, Law Tech Live website. And we also have the Law Tech Live group in which we had, you know, kind of uh, put in about this event. So please uh, just uh, post your requirement there and I'll get back to you on it. So it's- So the Law Tech Live group is on, on LinkedIn, isn't it? Yes, me? it is on LinkedIn. Okay. Definitely. So it's been an absolute pleasure to work with you, Rasmi. Thank you for your help and support. Tony, always a pleasure. Um, and uh, thanks everyone for joining. Thanks Cheers. everyone. Thanks. Yeah. Take care. Bye-bye. Ashley says it's really helpful. That's lovely to hear, Ashley. Best wishes. Thanks. And um, we've got some nice feedback there from Liz. Brilliant session. And from Des, how kind. That's lovely. I think Emma Jackson might have joined us, but she just joined us, Emma, uh, late in the, later in the call. So that was yeah. nice.
Uh, everything all right for you, Rasmi, there? Yes, everything all right. Thank you so much. Great thank pleasure. Thank you for And Nicola, thank you. Uh, Thanks. Again, that, was, that was masterfully, masterfully facilitated. Thank you. Was it? Well, yeah. I, I, I did jump a little bit at the beginning, so I, 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 um, I kicked myself, but we, we styled it out, Tony, between us, didn't we? <laughs> um, thanks, Tony. And I am available for weddings and bar mitzvahs if anybody um, <laughs> anyone needs my services. Uh, yes. Uh, Tony, so, we'll be having the 24th of June, then will be a call for our committee over our group, whatever we call it. It sounds like it, doesn't it? Sounds yeah. like it, doesn't it? Yeah. So, um, Rasmeet, we'll be in touch about future sessions. I'll, I'll, um, I'll invite Emma to pick up that baton when she's got some bandwidth. Is that sure. okay? Please yeah, stay in absolutely. touch. Um, I, I will, we'll have it in mind. We thought.